welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Old Testament book of the minor prophet Zechariah. The book of Zechariah contains more visions and prophecies regarding Christ and the end times than all the rest of the minor prophets combined. The role of the prophet was to tell God's people what God thinks about them and what they are doing or not doing. God cares about his people and he cares about everything in their lives. The book of Zechariah reminds us of God's constant thoughts and teaches us about his plans for the future so that we have hope when we need it. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the book of Zechariah as we look for Christ in the Old Testament. Turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 2, Zechariah 2, as we continue our study through the book of Zechariah series I've entitled, A Glorious Future. Zechariah was given a series of visions and messages to encourage the people of God to trust God as they were going through the times that they were in. And and at that particular time in the state of Israel, it was difficult. They, They had returned from exile about, you know, getting close to 20 years before this, and it was still difficult. The land had lain desolate for over 70 years, and, you know, if you, you abandon a city after it's destroyed for 70 years, it's a mess. And so that's what they come back to. That's what they're trying to recover from, and, and it's not easy for them. And so what he did, what these messages were meant to do, was to remind the people of God about the promises of God. It's the promises of God that, that help us through those times that we sometimes encounter. And one of the more radical of the promises that God made to his people, both the people of Israel and to his people, the church, was the promise of his presence. In Exodus 29, Verses 45 and 46, it says this, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. King Solomon later, um, you know, he was King David's son. And one of the things that God did with, with King Solomon was he, he gave him a wisdom that was far surpassed anyone else on, on earth at that time. And so Solomon, this incredibly wise man, wrestled with the concept of God's presence among people. And he did this uh, specifically after he had finished building the first temple, in 1 Kings 8, 27, it says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. He's responding to a promise that God made that if they build this temple, that he would dwell among them, that that would be his habitation among them. Solomon couldn't understand how God could do what God said he was going to do. And, and you know what? I think we need to pause regularly and think about things like this. Think about something that God says, I will dwell among you. God, anybody know who God is? 
He's big, right? God is huge. God is, is, is amazing. He is, he is so much beyond us that there, there are no words to define how much bigger he is than us, how much greater he is than us. He is just, he's just big to a degree that we can't really understand. But then God says, I will dwell with you, with you. We ought to, I think, I think we sometimes we get way too comfortable with the truths of God. Where we, we say, oh yeah, yeah, God lives in me. Like it's, like, like it's no different than, you know, you living with somebody else. Like it's no big deal. God lives with me. God lives with you. I mean, it should be a huge deal. It should be something we're going to step back and, and think about and marvel at and not allow it to become some, some dry, meaningless truth. It never can be. It is huge. And we must, we must regularly remind ourselves of that because, it's, I, mean, I mean, am I the only one that sometimes gets a little too comfortable with these immense realities of God? The holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the, 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 the beauty of God, the power of God. We sometimes just kind of, we kind of like, we, we, we quote these things like, okay, it's no big deal. It ought to be a huge deal. We ought to remind ourselves that on a regular basis. Solomon couldn't understand how God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And, and here's something we need, to, we need to understand. God doesn't need us to understand. He doesn't need us to understand these things. But he needs us to believe. He expects us to believe. That even there, there are things that we can't understand about God, we, don't, we, we can't understand about who he is and how he relates to the world, we need to believe. When God says it, we need to believe it. Even if we don't understand it. That was, that was something I wrestled with, young in my faith. Wrestled with the idea that there were things about God that I couldn't understand because I, I mean, I'm Rick. I know, I can understand everything. <laughs> then I got married and God fixed that. God promised a glorious future to the people of Israel. A glorious future to the people of Israel. And, and, there was, there was an interesting illustration that God brought to me that even though it was, it was over 40 years ago, I still remember the day I stood on a platform like this and right about this position right here with my best man and a couple of groomsmen beside me and looking out over a room that had a couple hundred people of which I knew almost none of them and because they're all on Kelly's side of the family. I don't know how many she knew either, but there they were. I'm staring out at all these people, and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to be in a rented tux. I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable in that circumstance. Not so uncomfortable today. Different person. I was there because Kelly and I believed that the future would be better if we spent it together than it, than it would be if we spent it apart. The minutes that I stood there seemed like hours. They just drug on. And then the music changed, and out of the back came one of the bridesmaids. 
or somebody, can't remember exactly who, it was a long time ago. Somebody came down the aisle. She was not the future that I was waiting for. She was a sign. When she started coming down the aisle, what, the, what did that mean to me? Kelly was back there somewhere too. She was coming. She would come after that. Then more bridesmaids, flower girls, ring bearers, camels, donk. I don't know who it was. It was a lot of stuff there. And then, you know, they all get up here. They all get situated. And then this another pause, which seemed to take forever again. The music changed again. And then there she was, glorious. Most of the rest of the ceremony is a blur. I'll be honest. I, I couldn't tell you what the pastor said. I couldn't tell you the different things that we did. I do know that I said all the I do's I was required to, and I didn't trip on the way out, which I call that a win, right? (laughs) We had become engaged many months earlier before that, and the closer we got to that moment, the closer we got to the fulfillment of the promises that we'd made to each other, the more exciting it was. And, 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 and I think and I believe that that is the, the spirit, the heart that God wants us to have, that there are things coming into our lives. There are things that are happening in the world around us. They are not what, they're not God's promises. They are not, they're not the things that we're waiting for. They're not what we're waiting for, but they're a sign that what we are waiting for is coming, that there is something coming and it is glorious. And we just have to be patient. Got to stand up there and try not to fidget while you're waiting for that final promise to be fulfilled. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has made promises to you. Promises like John 14, 2 and 3, in my father's house, Jesus speaking, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Is that a promise? To who? Anyone who believes. I go to prepare a place for you. And he continues, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Promise after promise after promise. And, and Peter refers to, him, to them as exceedingly great and precious promises that God has made to his people. We have, to, we have to know his promises. We have to cling to his promises. We have to stand on his promises. We have to believe his promises because those are the things that will enable us to walk through, to stand up there uncomfortably and waiting for whatever needs to happen next to happen. God will keep his promises. The presence of Kelly in my life has made my life immensely better. I don't even want to imagine what it would be like if she hadn't been in my life. But what will make heaven better? It's not Kelly. As much as I love her, it's not my grandbabies. As much as I love them, it's going to be Jesus. He is going to be why heaven is so heavenly. The presence of Christ. Now, now, as believers, we are already in the presence of Christ. We just don't really feel it. 
the way that we feel the presence of everyone else, that we know that we, I, I know that I'm in the presence of Troy. I know that I'm in the presence of Melanie. I know that I'm in the presence of all of you. Intellectually, I know I'm in the presence of Jesus, but I don't feel it the same way that I will then. One of the keys to living with joy and hope and peace is knowing and believing God's promises, especially the promise of presence, the promise that he is present and we will be present with him. And so as we look in this text through Zechariah, we're going to see some of the promises that he made to Israel. And while some of those are very specific to the people of Israel, they all point to promises that God made to his people, to all people. And so we're going to try to extract some of those out of there. So let's pray, and then we'll look at a few verses. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for your presence here today. Now, depending on where we are spiritually, we may, we may have little or no sense of that presence, or we might feel it in a very powerful way. And I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I know you're moving. I know, I know you, are, you are in me and you're filling me and, you're, and you're, you're trying to do the same thing with everyone else in this place. Lord, and we just have to let you in, let you work, let you out to do what you want to do in this place here today. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you will do in your word. And so we pray, Lord, open our hearts to receive Open my mouth to speak, and Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would use this time for your glory, for the blessing of your people, and for the growing of faith. And we lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 2 is where we are in Zechariah. contains the third of eight visions that Zechariah receives and uh, in a single night. He gets all eight of these visions in a single night. We're going to take months to talk about them, but, you know, he, he got them all in a single night. In the first two, God reminded the people of Israel, specifically the people in and around Jerusalem at that time, because that's where most of this is focused, is in the city of Jerusalem, that, that, that God would keep his promises that he'd made to the people, that he was going to keep his promises, and that, and that they needed to trust him that he would keep his promises, because that's important. It's one thing to believe God's promises but then you have to trust them. That means you make choices and decisions based on the promises of God. Not on what you think, not on what you feel, but what you know God said, what he promised. I make these decisions, I make these choices, proving that I trust God with these things. He also said that he was going to deal with the nations who had, who had scattered the people of Israel and done it in an evil way. So let's, let's read verse, pick it up, verse 1 of Zechariah 2. Then I raised my eyes and looked, behold, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and its length. And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel coming, was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. This is a promise to rebuild Jerusalem. Again, we've got we to read everything in context. The context of this is they are in the city of Jerusalem. They're trying to recover from the city lying desolate for 70 years. So it's a mess. 
can only imagine what that would be like. It was just, there was just destruction, devastation all around, rubbish all around. You're going to see that once you continue on to the book of Nehemiah. It's just a mess in the city of Jerusalem. And so God makes a promise. I will rebuild the city. And it will be, it will, not only will I rebuild it, but it's going to be bigger than it was before. It'll be more um, spread out than it will before. In many of the Old Testament prophets, it's one of the things we have to keep in mind as we're studying through the, the, the prophets, is that the message is always applied to the people who heard them the first time. There was always some application. So when, when Zechariah is speaking, he is speaking to the, the people that were, that, he, he was, that were there at that time. But they always, always went beyond that. And so there was a, a, a near future fulfillment of the promises of God, of the prophecies. There was almost always a far future fulfillment in them as well. And so we see, we see these promises of rebuilding Jerusalem. And, and did Jerusalem get rebuilt? Yes. How do we know that? Because Jesus walked around in it, you know, you know hundred, a few hundred years later. He walked around this rebuilt city, this much larger city. But even so, it, it wasn't even just that city, because it refers to, a, even beyond that, to a city that has not yet been constructed. <clears throat> the one that he's talking about, ultimately, is one that is still in the future. Because Jerusalem exists today, right? Right, we know that. It, it, it's still out there right now. But one of the keys here to understanding this, it, it, will be a, it will be as towns without walls. That's important because a town without a wall was unprotected, and which meant an enemy could come in and just wipe it out, take everything you have and wipe it out. So it was a, it was a less safe environment than a walled city, a fortress-type city, and he says, it, it will also, not, only, not only will it be a town without walls, but it'll be, uh, it, will be, it will be so spread out because of the multitude of men and livestock. So there's two things going on. It's going to be built as a town without walls, which speaks of, of peace and safety. And the, the multitude of men and livestock is a, is, a, is a promise of prosperity. So peace, safety, and prosperity are promised in this verse. And then the verse, next verse tells us why these things are true. Verse 5, for I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Jerusalem's not going to need walls because God himself will guard her. He will be a wall around her so that no one can touch her. And this reminds us of what God did. If you remember the, in the, in the, the account of the Exodus, as the Israelites were running from the Egyptians to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians started chasing after them, God put himself between the Israelites and the Egyptians. He, he was a wall between them, protected them. And God can do that in us as well. And he says, I will be the glory in her midst. Isaiah 60 verse 19 says this, the sun will no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God your glory. And then in Revelation 21, 23, which we just finished Revelation this week, this last week, 
When was it? Was it this week or last? How do you figure that? Sunday is the first day of the week. Had to be last week. Revelation 21, 23. So easily distracted. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So what's this referring to? The city it's referring to ultimately, while the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, there is a, a city going to be built in the future we refer to as the New Jerusalem, will be built by God and will descend out of heaven much, much later after Jesus comes back the next time. One of the mysteries of the faith, one of the things that, that should never cease to amaze us is this, this reality, this promise that God dwells in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the treasure of God, the treasure of God's presence, the treasure of God's word, the treasure of the gospel, all dwells in us. These, these earthly, earthen vessels, precious treasures, the fullness of the glory of God resides within us. And and it, it shines, and, and, and all of the fullness of, you know, the fullness, it is all the fullness. And it, and it shines, it's all in us, and it comes out of us through faith and obedience. When we obey God by faith and do the things that he, that he calls us to, then the glory of God shines forth for the whole world to see. And it, and, it, and, it, and it can be anyone that does that. Anyone, we all, you know, do we all have the same God in us? Do we all have the fullness of the same God in us? Therefore, could we not all shine forth the glory of God in a way that allows the world to see God's glory, right? Now, we're all going to do it differently. Why? Because God made you different. He put you in different places. He gave you different gifts and abilities. And when you exercise those gifts and abilities, whatever they might be, whether it's just being you know, nice to people or you're serving people or you're you know, you know, sharing the gospel with people, you're just being a light in your community, whatever it might be, that's where God put you. That's how he made you. That's how he wants you to do it. And when you do that, his glory comes shining out. When you, and when that happens, people know that there is a God in the universe. They may not understand it. They may not be able to, to you know, to, to communicate what they're, understand, what, they're, what they're experiencing, but the reality is he is there. You know, God's presence in our lives has this effect of trying to draw us up to him, draw us up to heaven. God's trying to draw us up into his presence. The world is like gravity. Where is it trying to pull us? It's trying to pull us to the earth, to the earthly things, to the carnal things, to the fleshly things. That's what the, that's what the world is trying to do. While God's trying to pull us up, the world's trying to pull us down. There's always this tension that's going on within us. And for us to, to resist the temptation of the gravity of this world, we need to do something, right? Our faith must be intentional, we must choose to do things that, that draw us up toward God and resist the gravity of, of the world trying to pull us down. It takes effort. It takes intention. It takes a deliberate act. If, if, if people are just cruising through life, just letting life take them wherever it takes them, 
are, are they being drawn up to God? Uh, chances are probably not. We have to be intentional in our faith. We have to choose to do some of these hard things like, like praying and, and, and reading your Bible every day, maybe studying your Bible, maybe, maybe serving someplace, somehow, some way, someone. And we do those things that helps to draw us up. Not the act itself, but the faith it takes to do those things. Because the act itself is just a thing. But when we exercise our faith to do those things, that's what releases the glory of God. That's what releases the power of God. If you just read your Bible to read your Bible, yay, you read your Bible. And his word will not return void. But if by faith you open it up and say, God, I know you're speaking, and I know you want to speak to me in your word. You want to say something to me today that it's important for someone maybe in this world to hear, or I need to hear so I can go out into the world, whatever it might be. I know that, I know, God, you speak through your word. Something changes in the way that you read. Something changes in what you hear. Something changes in, in how God interacts and relates to you. you just, you're just more open to hearing the voice of God when he speaks. He's always there. God's glory shines forth when we, by faith and obedience, do those things that are right and good. Verse 6. Whew. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. What does that mean? Well, when, when the when the Jews, the Israelites, were exiled into Babylon, they, some went to Assyria, some went to Babylon, and when all of that happened, there was a point where, where Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people in Babylon and said, uh, uh, build houses, plant gardens, because you're going to be there for a while. So basically he said, you know, you dig in, uh, you know, build, you know, create a life for yourself there because you're going to be there. And we know that they were, they were expected to be there for 70 years. They were there for 70 years. Well, after 70 years of getting comfortable, what did they get? Comfortable. And then, and then, then all of a sudden, hey, you guys can go back now. You can go back to Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, it's a desolate mess. You know, it, it, it's, like, it's like living in Murrieta. And then somebody said, hey, oh, by the way, where's, where's the city we don't want to live right now? Detroit. I was thinking San Francisco. Oh, by the way, you know, you, 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 you can go to San Francisco now and live. Uh, and why would I do that? Why would I want to do that? That's what, exactly what went happened there. When the chance came back, there were some people who said, yes, I want to go back to the land of Israel, back to that place, the promised land. But there were a lot of people, they had made lives for themselves. They were comfortable, and they did not want to leave. And they didn't leave. But God wanted them to leave, and he wanted them to leave for two reasons. First, he promised to bless them in the promised land, not in Babylon. The second reason, maybe more important to them, 
is he was planning on judging Babylon. He was going to pour out his judgment on Babylon. He didn't want them in the city when he poured out his judgment. Does that make sense? If God says, I'm going to pour down fire and brimstone on San Francisco, what should all the believers in San Francisco do? Leave. Get out. I don't know why I'm picking on San Francisco today, but there you go. Maybe from San, somebody from San Francisco is watching. God bless you. Let us know in the comments below. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> you know, it, it's never a good idea to get comfortable with the things of the world. You know, God, God wants us to, you know, to live our lives here. You know, he, he gives us a life in this world, and he wants us to live a good life. He wants us to live, and, and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, living a comfortable life in this world, but he doesn't want us to be comfortable with the things of this world so much so that we will be unwilling to give them up for God. Because that can happen. We can get very comfortable with the things that, that, that God has given us to the point where we say, you know, God says, you know what, I want you to give all that up and go do that, go X, Y, go to Indonesia. Really? I don't think I want to. I think I want to stay right here in my comfortable house and my comfortable job, my comfortable this, that, or the other thing. God says, he wants, us to be, he wants us to be ready to respond to him if he should call us. Now, he's not going to call you all to Indonesia. Don't worry about it. Only that side of the room, that side of the room, back half of the room. I don't know which, which some part of it. What we do, we do what we have to live here. But we must always do it with the understanding that this is not really our home, that this is a, a, a temporary location for us. And while, again, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable here, we should not be so comfortable that we wouldn't abandon it for an, in an instant to go wherever God would call us to. We should long for God's will, for his place, for that whatever it is that he's calling us to. We should long for that to the point where while we can live a comfortable life, we're never actually comfortable in this life because we want the next one. We want what he's promised to us. And, and the reality is what God is warning them here is, is the closer you live to the world and the things of the world, the more likely you are to experience the consequences that God is going to pour out on the world. If God is going to judge the world for something, how close do you want to be to it when it happens? I think I want to be way, way separated from that thing. And we don't know when God's going to pour out his judgment on the wicked things of this world. He could do it, could do it today, could do it tomorrow. Don't know. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. That if you ever hear somebody refer to Israel as the apple of God's eye, that's, this is one of the places it comes from. It's in a, actually a couple of different places in the scriptures. This is one of them. And, and it should remind us that, that God has a special affection for his people, the Jews. And, and that's an eternal thing. That will never change. That will never end. God, and it's because that's what he wanted. God said, I will choose you, and my choice of you is unchanging. I, I can't 
I can't unchoose you, God would say to the people of Israel. And so he has a special affection for them. Why them? Because? Because he's God and he chose to do that. He wanted to do that. It was his choice. So anyone who messes with Israel is messing with someone that God really, really loves. He's chosen them as a special people, a precious possession. I mean, all of us can think of it. If somebody messes with one of my grandkids, I'm going to be bothered by that, right? I mean, you would expect me to. You expect me to stand up and to defend them, to protect them, to provide for them. Whatever I had to do, I would do for them. God has an even more precious, deeper, more more intimate connection with the people of Israel than with anyone else. And and this is radical to me because Israel regularly (laughs) turns away from God. Right now, they they are... They are a secular, carnal nation, for the most part. There are a few that, that, that seek God in a, in a fashion, but not most of them. And yet God says, they're my chosen people, and I will not abandon them. He will never abandon Israel. And he calls all of God's people to stand with Israel. That's why we fly the flag. You know, and do we know that Israel sometimes does things that God disapproves of? Uh, Yep, every day. Every day they're doing it. And yet they're still God's chosen people, and we're called to pray for them. We're called to stand with them as much as we possibly can and, and trust that God has got a plan for them that we can't fully understand. And for us as believers, if through faith we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then we have been grafted in to the same love that God has for the people of Israel. That, that, that Now, not as a people group, but as individuals. I, because I have faith in, in Jesus Christ, I, Rick, has been grafted in to the same love. And the same with each one of you individually. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been grafted in that love as well. Now, there's no promises made to the church that, that correlate directly to the promises that God made to the nation of Israel. And so we got to be careful when we, we, we're looking at the promises God has made to the nation of Israel versus the promises he made to individuals. But that same love, he loves us with unchanging affection. So much so that I believe we can claim on an individual basis, again, not, on, not as a church, but on an individual basis, the promise of God spoken by David in Psalm 17, 7 and 8. Show your marvelous loving kindness to your right hand. I I know I read that wrong. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you. Do you trust in God? Say, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Show your loving kindness from from those who rise up against them. Keep them as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of of your wings. God, God wants to cover us with his love, with his power, with his strength, with his grace, with his mercy. He covers us with those things because we trust in him. Put your trust in him. Verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell 
in your midst, says the Lord. Yeah, the, again, in context, the people of Israel are struggling. They're, they're, they're working hard to, to make a living here and to just to, to try to flourish in this desolate city of Jerusalem. And God is calling them to look past that, to sing and rejoice. Even, even when it's hard, sing and rejoice, he says to them to look past your current situation to the glorious future that God has promised. Now, that's where faith shows up, right? If you think about it, if you, when you're in a situation like the Jews were in at that point, maybe some of you are in a similar place where you're trying to dig your way out of the desolation of some, either just some catastrophe that's happened in your life or some poor choice that you've made, whatever it might be. You're trying to kind of just live through that, get through that, and, 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 and you're struggling with that. And, and it, it can lead you to despair. It can lead you to depression. It can lead you to f- frustration and anger, all sorts of emotions. But God has promised things to us. Great, exceedingly great and precious promises of a glorious future. We need to, we need to look past whatever is today to see that glorious future. And I would say to you, even if, if things are going good, you ought to look past the good that you're experiencing today to the glory that's ahead of you. Do you believe that God's promises are true and for you? Do you believe they're true and that they're true for you? Because there's a difference There are some people that believe that God's promises are true, but they're not certain if they're true for them on an individual basis. If they're true, who are they true for? Everyone. All of his people. And if that's true, if God's promises are sure for all of his people and we can trust in them, can we look past our current situation and sing and rejoice? And the answer is yes, we can. But what is it? It's a choice of faith. I choose. When I show up in the, on a Sunday morning, I show up, and it doesn't matter what my week was, doesn't matter what's going on in my life, doesn't matter what drama is playing around me, can I, at least even for a moment, for a, a 20 or 30 minutes, Put all of that aside and sing and rejoice because my God is great and my God has promised to me exceedingly great and precious promises that are true and they're true for me on an individual basis because God loves me with a kind of love that no one else in the universe can can duplicate. Sing and rejoice. If you can't do that, that's a sign that your faith needs some work. That's what that means, is that, that while you might believe, you might know what God's promises are, you might even believe that they're true, you're not 100% certain that they're true for you. God may do that for Pastor Randy, but I'm not sure he's going to do it for me. Don't you know, what, you know, if you knew me, you'd know why God probably won't do that for me. No, God's promises are true. They're as true for me as they are for Randy, or as they are for Miguel, as they are for Stephen and Stephen. You know, it, it's, you know it, it, they're just true. 
all the time. I don't know why I just picked just guys there. That's weird. So, Laura and Annie and okay, sorry. Oh, it's true for all of us. Verse 11 reminds us that, that there's at least one thing that we can all rejoice in. Verse 11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now, who are the many nations that he's referring to here? Raise your hand. All of us. Somebody raise your hand. Come on. Play the game with me just so I know somebody's listening. Thank you. It, it is us. He's referring to us because, because it, the many nations has to refer to somebody other than the Jews, other than Israel. And the many nations are those, all of those that will come to faith in Jesus Christ through the Jews. The faith came, comes through the Jews, comes through Jesus Christ who was a Jew. And so all the other nations are going to come to him. And they're coming from all over the world. All the nations are being drawn to God by Christ. Can we rejoice in that? Should we rejoice that somebody other than the Jews can get saved? I say, yes, I am very thankful that someone other than the Jews can get saved because otherwise where will we all be going? To a hot place. And I'm not talking about Hemet. <laughs> the Jews will always have a special place in God's heart. And, it, and it's one of those, another one of those mysteries how God can do it like this. But you know, we can create human illustrations that come close to it. That while they, he'll always have a special place in his heart for the Jews, he is not the God of the Jews alone. He's the God of all. And so there is no one that is apart from the, the opportunity to experience God's love. God loves all. And he was always intended to save more than just the Jews in Genesis 12, 3, as, as God is talking to the, uh, Abraham, he says this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a promise that God made to all of humanity. That, that an opportunity to experience the blessing of God was open to all. That would come through the Jews, and ultimately that was fulfilled in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is all can be blessed. And even, and even though the fact that, that most Jews have little or no relation with God today, he's not done with them. Verse 12, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem as his headquarters, as the headquarters of his people and where he would say that he would dwell. He built his temple there. All that happened some 3,000 years ago in the promised land. And once Jesus comes back again, Jerusalem is going to be restored fully to the Lord and it's going to be a glorious thing. You notice the phrase holy land there? You know, it's always good to look for things like that because as I was reading it, I was thinking like, holy land, where have I seen that before? Um, 
there is no other place in the Bible. It's the only place in the Bible where that phrase is used. So I just thought that was interesting. Make a note of that. They're, they're always interesting to come across those things. You know, people talk about the Holy Land. Okay, there's only one reference to it like that, whatever that means. Verse 13, be silent. Ooh, all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. A day is coming when God is going to be stirred from his holy habitation. He's going to be, the, the word also speaks of aroused or stirred up. And he's going to deal with all the evils in this world. And just as Jesus stilled the seas during the storm with a word, God will silence all the wicked. And then he'll repay them for their wickedness. Even believers ought to pause and reflect upon this. And I believe there is something that, that there's something that's been lost in our busy smartphone technology driven culture. And that's silence. We rarely allow silence in our lives anymore. We'll have earbuds in, we'll have music or something playing in the background, TVs on. There's almost always noise around us. Now, it can be good stuff, but we rarely allow time for silence. And I think, I think that's a problem. I think that is something that we need to think about. We need to take some time in silence and think about. We ought to take time out of our busy lives and allow it to get quiet around us. I, I, a part of my testimony is, is this very thing. I didn't do it on purpose. It just one of those things that God did. I was in a place where I was used to having noise around me all the time, and I deliberately kept noise around me all the time, and then God put me in a place where I just got tired of all the noise, and I turned it all off. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing things that I had never heard before, never thought about before. You know, in retrospect, it was God talking to me. And he had always been talking to me, but I just couldn't hear him through all the noise. I think we need to take some time where we deliberately choose to be silent, to be still, to meditate on the things of God, on God, on his word, on his promises. Psalm 119, 15 says this, I will meditate on on your precepts and contemplate your ways. You cannot do that when your life is filled with noise. You must take some time to be still, to be silent, to let God speak. God is still speaking to his people. And if you're here today, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one of his people. He is speaking to you. But are we taking any time to be silent long enough to hear him? Because if we, if we don't allow, if we keep our, our life noisy all the time, you're just not going to hear him. This week, I would encourage you to take some time and think about three things. Three things. 
First, how aware are you of God's constant presence in your life? Is God present in your life? Nod your head, say yes, acknowledge yes, he is. Okay, two of you, thank you. Okay, two of you know Jesus. Thank you so much. How aware are you of that? How, are you, how aware are you that he is always there? Because the more aware we become of God's presence in our lives, constant presence in our lives, it will change how you think, how you act. Second, are you moving upward in your faith toward God or downward toward worldliness? Are you moving toward God or are you moving toward the world? Third, how would the people around you answer those two questions? How would those around you acknowledge or, or recognize, could they say that God is in your life? Could they say that you are moving toward God? Now here's, here's a tip. This is not a test. You answer the questions and move on. Uh, yes, yes, no. Pass. I got two out of three. I'm good. You, wanna, you need to take some time and be still before the Lord and allow the questions time to, to work through you. As you read through your word, ask yourself those questions before you start reading. Am I growing in Christ's likeness? Am I growing closer to God? Am I what, you know, is there something in my life that is becoming more worldly than, than it should? And as you get into the word, you, he will reveal to you through his word. As you take time in prayer, he will bring things to mind to pray about, about your own faith, about your own life. And as you do that, you need to, you need to capture those things and, and ask God to speak to you about them because he wants to. Again, it's one of those, another one of those radical things. God wants to talk to you. I mean, I mean, doesn't that just blow you away to think about? God, who's in charge of everything, running the entire universe, wants to talk to you. Don't just answer the questions and move on. Ask them in your heart. Allow it to, to, to resonate in you until you have, if you've, got, you've got an answer from God and you keep asking him and you keep meditating and, and, and seeking him in his word and praying and, and getting engaged in conversations with other believers about these things until you get to that place where you know. Take some time this week and be silent. Doesn't that sound good when it gets quiet like that? I love it. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time. And, and um, Lord, even as that plane goes, or, goes overhead, uh, we know that it's hard in this world to find space for silence. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to really examine our lives and see where we might allow that time. So that we might be able to, to enter into that, 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 that reflection upon you. You are present in our lives. How, how radical is that? 
And I pray, Lord, that you stir within us a, a, a great sense of mystery and a great sense of awe and a great sense of wonder that the God of the universe would even, would even acknowledge my existence that goes beyond that to loving me, actively loving me. And as, as, as the word says that, that you want to be a wall around us, that you are the glory within us, that all of these things are true and they're true for us. And if we will allow them to, that space in our lives, then we will, then we will be, we'll, we'll, we will live a life that is glorious while we wait for the true glorious life that is promised to each of us. Lord, I want to lift up the, the people of Israel, the Jews, as they are your chosen people. And that Israel is your holy land. That Jerusalem is the city that you chose to, to, be, um, to bear your name. And Lord, the world is messed up in how they see that. And there are many in this world, and we're going to talk about that next week, that, that, that want to compromise and come up with solutions to problems that, that you've already given us the answer to. And so I pray, Lord, that we as a, we as a people, the, as believers in Jesus Christ, would lift up your people, the Jews, and to help them to, to draw near to you. And Lord, the one thing they need more than anything else they need Jesus. And right now, that's hard for them. It's hard for them to see Jesus. And so I pray, Lord God, that, that, that you would do a work, even, even one at a time, Ophic first and maybe others after him, just as we pray one by one, that, we will, that we'll keep praying for them until they all know their Messiah, their Savior, their Christ. And we pray, Lord God, um, and we pray what you've promised to do. We pray that you would protect that land. You promised to do it. You promised to be a wall around them. You promised to be the glory within them. And so we pray that back to you, God, that you would protect them, that your glory would shine out from them, that the whole world would see that God loves Israel. And Lord, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to do our best to love Israel too. Regardless of what the rest of the world says, regardless of what others are trying to do, we're going to keep loving them. And I pray, Lord, as we prepare to close this time, Lord, that, that we would all do is we'd all search our own hearts. There's something in us that stands in the way from us acknowledging your presence. If so, help us to turn away from it and turn back to you. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here, maybe watching online, who doesn't know you, has not, had, has not started a relationship with you, or maybe has been distant from you. Lord, you're calling them back. You created them to be the objects of your love. But for, you to be, for them to experience that love, they must turn to you. And so I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would open their hearts right this very moment. They would confess their need for you, God, and that they would invite you to come and to, and to be in their lives in a way that helps them to live a life that is good and right and true.
We praise you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. And we pray for your blessing on this day. Lord, Lord, if it's possible, help us to find a time where we might be still, that we might be silent, and that we might know your presence in a powerful way today. And we pray it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a radical week. If you can do anything for you, see Randy. Oh, oh, there he is. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on this exciting journey through the book of Zechariah. It is our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com slash connect and you'll find all the ways that you can connect with us there. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. You can send us an email to prayer at calvaryfd.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.